to answer the question, you know, very, very clean, very direct. Um, as I got older, I started to look at the things that I wasn't as good at and really focus on them. And, um, specifically one workout that I would, would do to give you a good answer here is called, I called it like the cockside workout where, you know, I would basically mm. start my interval out, you know, and I just had mm. a long, a long, um, uh, field next to a road and I would just get off and run, you know, next to it while I was in the interval. And then I'd get back on and I'd bring the power back up. You know, things like this aren't really, they're not super, uh, they don't make sense for everyone, but if you're racing cross and you know that like, I got to kind of push 400 Watts and shoot it back up and then hold that power again and do this. And you're not really good at it then it's kind of like doing a cross specific over under maybe you would call it like okay but the the under is just the running portion Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast presented by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Sabin, and today we're talking all things cyclocross. While Drew and I have both raced extensively on the UCI cyclocross circuit, we thought it'd be fun to bring in a couple other cyclocross veterans, including Ignition Coach Co.'s Tyler Cloutier, as well as the one and only Jeremy J. Powell's Powers. Stay tuned for some fun conversations and special insight from some masters of the craft. Also, don't forget to pick up your Flow Formulas products by heading over to flowformulas.com today. Use the coupon code IgnitionPodcast at checkout to get yourself some endurance sports-specific nutrition products like high-carb drink mixes in both caffeinated and decaf options, hydration mix, recovery powder, and more, all optimized for your specific endurance needs. Again, that's coupon code IgnitionPodcast, one word, all lowercase, for 10% off your next order. As always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. If you have any questions for the show, send those to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email title The Matchbox Podcast, or find us on Instagram and send us a DM. All right, let's get into it. All right, guys, so we got a couple couple new voices on the show today. Um, so it's me, we got Drew Dillman, Ignition co-founder, co- we got one of our coaches, Tyler Cloutier, and none other Hello. than Jeremy J. Powell's Powers. So today we're going to be talking about cyclocross. We figured we'd bring in a couple experts. How's everyone doing? I mean, I'll take. I'm doing great. It's great to be here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. How's everyone don't, else doing? Don't you guys love the like feels like Monday, but it's actually Tuesday? It is nice. I'm not. I'm not going to lie. For me, that's nice. That's four days. Uh, so yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward. And not, yesterday was an was a rainy day, but a good day to have off. I completely shredded my garden in my backyard. Okay, what are we? What are we growing back there? Well, a lot of a lot of weeds actually at the moment. Okay. Um, <laughs> we we joke that in uh, in New England, like anytime you have any weeds, you just you hit it with the wood chips. So uh, you know, of course, yesterday after weeding, I'm like, man, we got to get some wood chips, <laughs> which is just absolutely hilarious. I hate wood chips, but weirdly, uh, you know, if you've got all the weeds, you got to get rid of them with something. And so the wood chips, yeah, thing. But we don't That's know. Awesome. We just cleaned it up. Yesterday was the big cleanup day. Okay, the preparation day. Yeah, yeah. So, got it, got it. Cool. So we we've been trying to get this one on the calendar for a couple of weeks, but some scheduling conflicts and stuff came up. So we were going to do a cross is coming episode, but boys, cross is here, right? <laughs> September. We're past Labor Day. A lot of people maybe have done their first cross race or prepping for their first cross race this weekend. Uh, the U.S. Pro CX calendar starts in two weeks, so it's like it's amongst us. I did a crit yesterday. So, but it was my last crit. Yeah. End of of the road. And it was almost like a, and I almost considered the last two weeks of racing like pre CX crit racing. 
it's like preparation for the cross season. You used to do that, J-Pow, right? You raced some like late season stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, tons of tons of road races. Um, it was kind of the the way that you got ready for cyclocross. Always, you know, you would do your you would finish up your road obligations, and then um, and then you'd promptly try to figure out how you could get your you know your hands and your body in in motion to be able to do the the big efforts from cyclocross. And you were hopeful that like at the end of the year, if you had a big race like a tour of Missouri or a tour of Alberta, that you were kind of you were feathering that form out to stick with you for the first month of the season so you didn't have to train good so i'm on the right track there yeah. we go yes you are <laughs> <laughs> it went pretty good you, we were at so we were at the, right yeah 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 we were at the gateway cup this week four days of crits yeah I get, each day got progressively better as the whole team raced so we cade bickmore who was on the podcast last week ended up getting seventh on the third day and then third on the last day but it was a bummer because we didn't get to do the podium because he actually got, well, he finished fourth, but because a best buddies rider punched somebody during the race, they got DQ'd, like in the middle of the race, punched somebody. Whoa. More crippy uh, flow. Yeah, it was nuts. And then, <laughs> so we didn't even find out until we were picking up our payout that he finished third. So it's kind of annoying that like a homie that got DQ'd and, and actually he had punched somebody the day before. So he shouldn't have even started that race yesterday. And he got, I guess he got second or third. And so it's kind of a bummer because we've been trying to put one of our guys on the podium all year. And then the one time we do it, we didn't actually like show up for the award ceremony, which was kind of a bummer, but still a good way to end the season for sure. I ended up sixth right behind him. So it was good. There you go. I got to ask this question, Dublin. You've been racing a long time. I, there were plenty of fights and you know hands off the bars stuff when i was racing is it is it any different or is it just kind of the same but we have we have uh myerson was talking about it one time we have we have cameras now in the races so it's like it all of a sudden it's like oh yeah everyone's got a phone everyone's got a camera so now we can see it but this stuff has been happening for since the old i mean very old days like we guys getting in fights at bike races yeah yeah Probably. Okay. I think the camera thing is definitely a big thing. Uh, like there was another guy who got second on the day two and he ended up getting DQ'd as well because he was grabbing like in the sprint was grabbing people's hips and like slinging himself up and he ended up finishing second by doing that. Mm. And they had camp, they had like somebody had got it on their GoPro and took it to the officials and said, look at this. And they DQ'd him. So it's crazy. We, we, we felt, I feel yeah. like there was a weird shift. Some, I remember being at Tulsa tough with jelly belly in those last years. And there was like a weird shift. I, I don't know how to explain it, but there definitely something changed in the, there were guys that were willing to take a lot more risk than we had been kind of, there was like a formula to the racing and it was kind of like, you know, UHC and, um, you know, jelly belly and some of the other teams would come to the front and they would like spin it up and it would get really hard. And then, you know, the best team would have the best sprinters lined up. And then those sprinters would kind of go to the head, head battle. Optum was there. Like it was just kind of, that was the, the style. And there was like a, I don't want to call it a pecking order, but it was, it actually was that there was just like a, Hey, don't you should, if you shouldn't be here, you shouldn't be here. Like it's the teams that line up and then that's a thing that happens. And then there's a sprint at the end and then the best guys in theory win. And, um, if you want to have a shot at it, you should do something off the front or blow it up enough that it gets very chaotic and then have a chance. And then it just, I don't know, something, it, there was just guys always coming up the inside. There was always these dangerous moves. And then you can see kind of like, hey, 
you took my life into your hands. So now, now we're definitely hands are coming off the bars because I almost just died and there was no yeah. good reason for that. So I don't know. I, it, having been in those ones, I, I don't, I definitely don't miss those days. Um, uh, but it is a, it is kind of a part of the history of at least American criterium racing as far as I remember back anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably right. Yeah. All of everything you just described sounds exactly like what Legion and best buddies is doing right now. Yeah. And blazers. It's just like, they're the respected sprint teams. Um, but yeah, there's definitely been like, I don't know, some controversy this year, it seems. I can see this from the web. I try to stay I try to stay yeah. out all that. <laughs> so what about all you, right, Adam? So, you race this weekend, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I um, So yeah, so I don't race on the road. I race mountain bikes. So I had uh, one of my kind of big A races for the season this past weekend. It's called the Dakota 5.0. It's like a, I don't know, just a big regional race. It's like the um, biggest race for everybody that lives in the Dakotas. I know that race, and I've I live in Kentucky, so like yeah, we got to come on do it, man. Deal. Skip that yeah. gateway bogus no, and come thanks. out, come out, do the Dakota Five O. Um, but yeah, it was awesome. I uh, it was kind of it's kind of like the one where like I put that on the calendar first, and then build the season around that. Um, it's like if if you win the Dakota Five O, you're kind of you know mid upper Midwest legend. So kind of gunning for that status. But uh, yeah, I didn't win. Took fifth, um, but had a pretty pretty solid race overall couple mistakes uh bottle cage came loose like an hour and a half in and that that set me back like a couple minutes trying to fix that um got a flat tire with like three miles to go uh so i almost lost podium spot there well wide angle podium um sixth place dave weens came around me while i was fixing my flat uh luckily i was able to kind of get it fixed and co2'd up and and get rolling pretty quick. And then I beat him in the sprint. So it, uh, kind of came down to the wire, but, uh, it was cool to, cool to beat a mountain bike legend like Dave Weens in the end. Um, but yeah, overall it was a good day. Uh, fitness was super solid. Uh, just a couple, couple, you know, mistakes and, uh, missed a turn stuff like that. But, um, yeah, overall solid day though. I I don't think I could have probably done better than fifth given all the mishaps, but if I would have had a clean race, you know, maybe top three, but, first place was he was on a little bit different level than the rest of us so um you can only you can only do what you can and bring what you got so it was it was a good day though i was pretty happy with top five nice there you go man yep tyler you've been racing man all the bike racing in my neck of the woods doesn't happen until october so they cram it in here in northwest arkansas to a very short window of time with big sugar with um you know, the, the Oz cyclocross racing, all the racing seems to happen in October. So I haven't been doing much racing, just a lot of preparation for the season. But the last race I did do was, um, a mountain bike race that I went and did on my cross bike, which blew a lot of people's minds when I rolled up to the, uh, to the start line on a cross bike with like 38 C tires. They just were incredulous that anybody would ever, defile their mountain bike race in that way um so that was my that was my last race and that was my kind of a good way for me to to prep for cyclocross um yeah because there's not a ton of not a ton of racing happening right now so i didn't want to come into the first race of the season and have that be a shock to the system um and it was good good practice for uh handling the cross bike on some on some nice uh slowy single tracks tyler was that in bentonville that race 
No, it was in Fort Smith, so about an hour and a half south. Okay, of, uh, Are the, the trails must not be nearly as rocky as is in Bentonville then. <laughs> no, these were um, actually dirt. Okay, <laughs> um, yeah, all the trails up here are you know if you have ridden this area, they're kind of like rocky shale. There's not a ton of dirt, and if it is dirt, it's probably flow trail. So yeah, um, yeah. So I not a, not a, I've got the Oz Trails Off Road poster behind me. Um, I've done that race three times and I've got a cumulative eight flat tires in the three times that I've done the race. So it's, it's pretty gnarly rock down there. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And that's a tough, that's a tough course too. It's a lot on the back 40 trails and, and some tough sections. Yeah. Along yeah the I was bummed so, that, not surprising. Yeah. I think you're, yeah, they're not doing it this year, but that was always like one I looked forward to. Um, yeah. well, you can come down and we can ride without have getting flats. Yeah. So yeah, that sounds good. Go to everybody else. Yeah. Maybe come down on a day where it's not raining. I feel like it's rained every single time I've been in Bentonville. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And bring your clubs too. Yeah. Yeah. We could play some golf too. <laughs> yeah. I saw you. Yeah. I hit the range and stuff. So yeah, we'll definitely do that. Yeah. Well, let's, let's get into some cyclocross talk here. So we, we've been kind of talking about what we do, uh, you know, over the summertime, Dillman's been racing crits. I've been doing mountain bike uh tyler's been racing mountain bikes on his cross bike um jeremy i mean you 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 know you always raced road let's talk about like when does this transition to cyclocross season really start to begin for you guys yeah um i guess back in the day you know if you're balancing a good road program um you know the cross season runs until february so if you kind of think of february as maybe being the end of the last year's cross season and then you know you usually take let's say five weeks um kind of easy to some extent and then you start building up that brings you to mid-april um you know, and then that's kind of like, all right, let's start doing some racing at this point. So mid-April, and then you race a nice summer season. And then usually sometime in July, I would take two weeks off um, and decompress. And then August, I would usually build. Um, I'd usually do like another couple of weeks of good training leading into the cross season and throw some racing in there. Um, August was always the most important build month for me for the coming into the season. It kind of, it, it let you just get some efficiency work down with the big endurance rods, um, and put some kind of finishing touches on the high end, because even though you've been doing a lot of racing and you've got all that from the summer, um, you know, it depends on kind of where you're at. Like if there was an injury or a lack of racing in June and July, then maybe you do a little bit of high intensity stuff, but I always like to do a nice little altitude camp in August, um, go to Boulder, do a little bit of motor pacing and come into the season kind of hot because the U S season, um, you know, and, and being from here, you always want to put on a good show. And, uh, there was, uh, there was always a, a good amount of world cups or top riders coming over. And, um, yeah. And so that's kind of how I started. I would start my season. I would always race kind of through mid July, um, and then take a break. And then if there was, like we talked about earlier, like a big tour of Missouri or a big tour of Alberta or another race that I could do that was uh, kind of there, I just worked that into the block. And um, yeah, it was, it was always, I always found like the cooler temperatures of August suited my body really well. And that those training blocks were, yeah, imperative that, that August frame uh, into the first weeks of September were always super good. And yeah. As you get older, you, you cut it closer and closer, but <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I really, really loved that, that, um, uh, that those like kind of that 30, 45 days of training leading into the season. Yeah. So in, in Jeremy, you talked about how like, you, you know, you have some top end from racing all summer. 
Um, but you kind of wanted to get a little bit more cyclocross specific, you know, leading into the season. So can you give us a little bit of insight into like what that specificity actually looks like for you? Um, you know, and and how that progresses maybe throughout the season. So you're talking about your build there in August. Are you, are you doing really high top end stuff there? Or are you still trying to, you know, continue to build your aerobic engine before the season begins and then kind of build your specificity as the season goes on? Um, when I think of, when I think of this question, I think of that old nine ball documentary or diaries or whatever with Tim Johnson, where he like, it's like this big transition where he like puts his road shoes in his closet and then grabs his cyclocross shoes and he goes out and does a little ride on some trail. That's like always the first thing I think of when, when people say like, Oh, when do you start training for cyclocross? Like that's the first thing that pops in my head. Well, good for you for making it through that video with Tim, Drew. Um, <laughs> nice. We have to throw some shade. I love Tim. Yeah. Uh, right. No, but uh, I think that's right. You know, I think that that's probably about right. I, I, you know, when you when you start to talk talk about speci- like being specific towards the cross workouts, I mean, the truth is, is that kind of like what you were saying, Tyler, is you know, uh, doing these mountain bike type rides or doing a cyclocross, you know, or doing a mountain bike ride on a cyclocross bike if you can get through it um and staying in touch staying in touch with the off-road side you know i think i think just doing you know road racing specifically if you were doing some high speed criteriums you certainly have that like cat-like reflex and those you know hand-eye coordination and you're having to make decisions on the fly very quickly um but it doesn't still replicate kind of the off-road and the um oh, snap, I'm going down a big hill and I need to control my bike and get my weight back and focus on looking, you know, six feet ahead kind of stuff. These types of things are really important. And luckily here, kind of in the Connecticut River Valley is where we live or we live in Massachusetts, but it is all along the Connecticut River. We have a lot of sand. And so we would focus a lot on going into the sand pit and riding ruts and doing specific drills that would kind of keep our, keep that type of, um, yes, yeah, skill fresh for us because we didn't, we didn't want to lose all that work. You know what I mean? You can't just pick up the cross bike and go straight at it. You really do need to be kind of year round thinking about it. But like I said, that April, May, June, you know, that's the lowest end of kind of the off-road skills and things like that for me when I was racing. But, um, but running definitely picks up quite a bit. I like to have a good running base in during that same time, that August and into early September, a good running base. I usually refocus on my core and on my gym work during that period also, because while you don't feel the gym work, you don't, I I never was doing enough gym work that it was like, Oh, now I'm doing a huge sprint. But I used to think of it more, especially as I got older as maintenance for when I would crash and how I would rebound back. Because when you crash, especially as you get older, it just takes so long to get back from those injuries and you have to do the physical therapy and the massage and the rehab. And you just realize that like, Mm -hmm. if I don't stay on top of my, you know, core work and on my gym work, then this is this it's essentially the insurance policy you know if i'm not doing it then the only other the only other option is that i'm going to get injured and it's going to take longer and then my sponsors aren't going to be happy and it's going to be an ender and a, se- a season ender or shorter career run and um that's the way i thought a lot about it so running was always there the um yeah, the off-road work. And also, you know, the, the cyclocross camps and things like that, those were like ways for athletes to make money. They're also really good ways to kind of hone and sharpen your skills because you get, you know, kind of a track, you get a bunch of people together and you're kind of sessioning and doing these skills over and over throughout the course of, a, you know, two to three days. And, um, those would also kind of, uh, 
yeah, stoke the mind to be thinking about the process of how to get on and off the bike, how to run over barriers at speed, etc. Were there any big things that you learned later in your career that you wish you had known when you were earlier in your career as far as like training goes? I I'd say like in my mind <clears throat> excuse me. Uh in my mind the when you're young you can get away with so much. <laughs> You know, you could just like do it without really a, a, a care. Um, you know, I, I, I guess as I got older, some of the things that I wasn't good at, like running, I really spent a lot of time on and I started to try to focus on being better at. And racing in the mud was also something that I wasn't really traditionally uh, really good at at first. I had to work up to it, even though I spent and lived a lot of time in Belgium, um, the 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 things that I were was most excelled at were faster tracks that were really punchy, um, that had a certain style to them. That was this U S style of racing that I had grown up on. So racing in the mud, you know, became a thing as I got older where it was like, well, if it's raining out, then I go and I train in the mud, you know? And so it became kind of this repetitious thing where I hated it because I really didn't look forward to it because I wasn't good at it. And I just doubled down on the thing that I was good. It's like, okay, I, you know, if it's raining and it's muddy out, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm hitting the trainer. I'm doing you know, intervals on the road or whatever. But I actually flipped that and I was like, Hey, you know, there's only one way that we can get better here. And that's ruining some tubular tires to understand how they move, getting that tire pressure really low, learning how to cut across ruts, thinking about how the track would, would race if it were to be a muddy race. And I had like a bit of a, you know, a course laid out and things like that. And so really becoming a student in this way. And I would say the sand training during the summertime really also helps with that because you, that wasn't part of my early days of training those, you know, 2000, uh, early, like late 2000s, 2007, 8, 9, 10, we weren't really doing any sand training. But as those years got, maybe the 2010 to 2020, we lived in the sand. You know what I mean? It was like, we couldn't get enough of it. Every year, the training increased in the sand pit. The tracks got harder. The, you know, the, the, the positions and the things that we put ourselves into and the bike handling and the the I'd say the bike positioning, even like the way that we set our bikes up wider bars, shorter stems, all these things started to just kind of play, play a lot more. And, um, it was a real point of pride to take those on. So to answer the question, you know, very, very clean, very direct. Um, as I got older, I started to look at the things that I wasn't as good at and really focus on them. And, um, specifically one workout that I would, would do to give you a good answer here is called, I called it like the cockside workout where, you know, I would basically mm. start my interval out, you know, and I just had a long, a long, um, field next to a road and I would just get off and run, you know, next to it while I was in the interval. And then I'd get back on and I'd bring the power back up, you know, things like this aren't really, they're not super, uh, they don't make sense for everyone. But if you're racing cross and you know that like, I got to kind of push 400 Watts and shoot it back up and then hold that power again and do this. And you're not really good at it. Then it's kind of like doing a cross specific over under, maybe you would call it like, okay. But the, the under is just the running portion where the over is kind of like the, on the bike, because that's kind of how it is. You're like, when you're running, you need to be efficient at the running to be able to not blow up. 
But most guys or most women that are racing cross, when they get off the bike, they blow up and then they get back on. And now, you know, what should have been 300 watts or 400 watts is now 180 or 200 because they've blown themselves up doing the thing that they were really inefficient at. So running at high intensity and then bringing the power back up is something that I think is, uh, you know, is, is, is worth consideration if you find yourself in that position where you're like, after I get on from a long run, I'm just completely smoked. Um, yeah, and I yeah. think that's an important distinction that you made there too is that, you know, a lot of folks when they think of running as part of their training for cyclocross, you know, they just throw on their running shoes and head out for a two-mile jog. Um, you know, they're not doing anything super specific. They're just kind of getting some some easy running base miles in. But at some point you've got to make that transition where you start making your running more specific to the conditions and the the race scenarios, you know, running with your bike, you know, hopping on and off your bike and doing some running because, you know, everyone knows it's way different to run with a 15, 20, maybe 25 pound bike. If you've, you know, fully clogged with mud, it's way different to do that than to just go, you know, run on the sidewalk at, you know, a leisurely pace. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned, uh, cockside. Cause when I was a, I, so I peaked when I was a junior. So, but when I was like my second year as a junior <laughs> worlds were in cockside, but they also had a world cup at cockside that year. It was like a double whammy. So you got to go, do the world cup in October. And then you knew you kind of had an expectation of what worlds was going to be like. And for me, that was my first time racing that course. So I went in October and got smacked, like just destroyed. And exactly what Jay Powell was talking about. Like every time I'd blow myself running, I couldn't pedal for the rest of the course. So from like October to the end of January, I remember I was in high school still like waking up before the school bus would come get me. And I was going and doing bleachers at the high school. And I did that like all like for the rest of the cross season, I have all these like, you know, uh, uh, nostalgic memories of, of high school drew running up the bleachers. And I think about, man, I was way more motivated back then than I am now, but it paid off. Yeah. That course, like you said, is such a, like your motor function goes if you're just totally blasted from running because you got that long sand mm. section and like, I don't know, when I did it, I was back, back in the pack and of course, so I'm running it, I'm not riding that section and I mean, I just remember like by the time I would finish running, you'd go to remount and downhill in the sand, like after the little right turn. And it was like, you're just riding on a tightrope, but your motor functions are totally gone because you've just sprinted for 200 meters. And now you're just like, I don't, <laughs> you know, you're trying not to eat it on the world's biggest stage, but yeah, the pressure is on. And I was actually going to ask kind of related to what we're talking about. How much do you all, uh, and Adam, I don't know if you do this for the, on the mountain bike side as well, but how much do you all in the, the weeks leading up to a specific race, kind of tune your training towards like that specific track. So for example, on the domestic side, whenever jingle cross was coming up, I would find that if I'm doing those over unders, I might do one set where I'm doing a, a 30 second run up on whatever the biggest hill I could find <laughs> wherever I was living at the time. Do you guys do that as well when you're trying to prepare for specific tracks or is it just year round, just working on all the skills? That's a good question. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, I'll go. So I, I, I definitely do. I, you know, I think, I think I keep that in mind for sure. Um, especially if you, if you have some experience with that track, um, and this goes for mountain bike too, um, on the mountain bike, it's a little bit different because a lot of times I'm switching, you know, some gear around, maybe tire tread or, 
going from the hardtail to the full suspension. So I'll usually spend more time on like the setup that I plan on running for the race. Um, and you know, it's harder to get the correct terrain. I, I live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So like we pretty much only have one area to train on, on the mountain bike. So it's not quite as specific as far as like course conditions or anything like that go. But, um, like if I know I've got like some heavy climbing coming up, maybe I'll go do some more steady state effort on like the gravel roads where I can hold a consistent power. Um, but for cyclocross for sure, like, um, you know, I, I would, I would definitely, we, we've got a great hill. Like if, you know, if, like you said, if jingle cross was coming up, um, and, and sometimes it's not even so much as like trying to induce those adaptations, but just prepare yourself for the physical challenge that's coming. Um, so if you're not used to running up that hill, you at least get a little more familiar with it, you know, two, three weeks before. I mean, there's some time for some adaptations to kick in there. Um, but a lot more of it is like, you know, technique, you know, maybe you're practicing trying to carry momentum through the bottom of the hill so you can ride up it, you know, the first quarter and then hop off at speed. Um, you know, kind of just working on some of those techniques that, you know, certain features on the course are going to be demanding of you. Um, like if there's, you know, big off cambers and maybe instead of running up that hill, you're doing switchbacks down the hill, you know, kind of like off the backs or, you know, off the, I guess, front side of, of jingle cross, you know, coming down those switchbacks. Um, you know, something like that, where it's like, you're just kind of getting familiar with the conditions and the terrain, um, and some of those features that you're expecting coming up. Um, cause that's like the unique thing about cyclocross is that, you really can't cyclocross unless you're on a course. I mean, like that's, that's what it is. It's not like gravel riding where you just go out and ride gravel roads or mountain bikes where you go ride trails, like cyclocross is on a specific course. And the cool thing is a lot of the courses remains very similar from year after year. So you do get, you know, if you're kind of traveling the circuit, you do get pretty familiar with what the demands are of each course. And you kind kind of can cater, you know, some of your training in the lead up to some of those, uh, some of those specific events. Yeah, I probably don't do enough specific training, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I And it's kind of a bummer because Louisville, like, hosted Worlds in 2013. So you'd think, like, oh, you've got the Worlds course in your backyard. But honestly, like, Eva Bamman, when it's not a Worlds production <laughs> and the course is taped off, is, like, not great, um, which is kind of a bummer. It's definitely, like, gone downhill, like, that park. So, um yeah, I feel like I don't have access to like a super good place to do those kinds of drills. Um, so a lot of times I'll just go to a baseball field with cones and barriers and I'll set up some tight turns. I'll do that a lot because it's super convenient. Like I can go to a baseball court a mile from my house, whereas uh, Eva Bamman's like a 20 minute drive. So, you know, as far as convenience goes, and I'll definitely do that a couple times before the season starts just to get like, just to, just to get familiar with the bike and the handling, but nothing like that specific. I I do think about how cool it would be to replicate a crumpet with the with the with the logs at the bottom. And I've talked about like talked with athletes about like oh yeah we should you know you should totally do that. But like you have to have a hill and you have to have logs and you have to have a place to do that at. I guess so. It really depends on what you have around. What about you. the what about the 2018 track? What about that like joe creason park or whatever it was yeah i don't even that's like a dog like uh, i don't even think you're allowed to ride your bike uh, there uh except <laughs> like that was the only time we were allowed to race our bike or ride your bike in that gotcha. place was for <laughs> nats there's a place mm-hmm. right down there not far from my house that i've 
Um, I was actually supposed to have a, a call with the Louisville Sports Commission guy last week. It fell through, but about maybe bringing back a race in Louisville because we haven't we haven't hosted a, a race since nationals in 2018. Got it. So, uh, and I was thinking like it'd be cool to do it at a different mm. place, but we'll see. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, just to say on my side, you know, the specificity of each of these workouts for me, never really, uh, it, it never, it, it's better to be good at them kind of year round. You know what I mean? It's like, you don't want to just like practice in the sand the month before you're going to get it. It's better to make it a big part of your routine. You know what I mean? It's better to have these kinds of things mm. ingrained and, um, make, make the things that you're not good at so that you're more well-rounded so that when you do see it, it's kind of a quick, it's a quick catch up like, Oh yeah, right. Okay. It's, you know, bigger gear, weight back, eyes up, you know, you, you just, you kind of remind yourself, yes, there is, if you don't do something, it's, you're going to get stale on it, but taking the time to kind of my dad would always say, make a hill your friend. It's like, you know, growing up, I hated hills. It's like, ah, these are so hard. And I have to like, climb up all these big hills and make a hill your friend. You know, that's like a, just a, a random way of saying like, make, you know, make the mud the thing that you're, you become really familiar with and don't look down at it. Look at the sand as the same. Look at the running as the same. They're, everyone's going to have their strengths and weaknesses naturally. That's what makes sport beautiful. But, you know, if you practice the things that you're really not good at, as simple as it sounds, you know, you, you get a lot better and you close the gap there because that's where the biggest um in cyclocross at least i mean you know that's where five seconds a lap can show up and you know five seconds can turn into you know a minute and a half at the end of a a cross race so it's uh yeah it's those little things that you can kind of focus on and make make a strength versus such a big weakness we were talking about joe greason and i think that's the beautiful thing i love about cyclocross is it's such a you have to have all the arrows in your quiver, right? You have to be sharp on all the skills because, you know, at that, at 2018 nationals that Drew was referencing, I feel like I was on and off my bike, you know, I don't know, 20 times per lap. Right. And just having that specificity or that ability to be sharp, um, you know, and get on and off and, and have those just basic skills of remounting and dismounting down, like you said, are so, so critical, um, in the sport and what makes it just unique that it's not just a, a Watts per kilo competition. You know, you have to be, have to be good at all the things. I think me and, yeah, me and it's also were... unique that it's, it's on a, a track that you're doing laps on. So that's, you know, kind of going back to something Jeremy touched on was if you have a weakness and that's exposed, you know, somewhere in a lap, um, it's not like you can just get past that one feature and you've kind of gotten through that difficult section for yourself and you move on. It's like, no, you gotta, you gotta see that seven, eight times during a race. So, you know, all those seconds you're losing is amplified, uh, you know, by the number of laps you're doing. I think in t- at Louisville Nats, I think me and Jeremy were duking it out the last couple laps. I think, I don't know if it's because I was a Louisville native or just because I was on J Pow's wheel. But I'm pretty sure we were getting the loudest screams of all the riders. I like that. And we weren't even winning, which is pretty I like good. That. <laughs> yeah, that was a hard track. It was a lot of running that day. It was not, you know, and again, you know, 10 years earlier, I wouldn't even have finished in the top 20 of that race. But, you know, with all the running training, it was like just to eke out mm. whatever it was, fifth for me. I don't remember where you finished, Drew. Sorry. Maybe did you finish 
fourth. Fourth. You scoundrel. That's right. Scoundrel. That's right. <laughs> to me. Um, you know, the, this would have been, it would have been, it, for me, it would have been 15th, you know, or, or worse. Um, so I was like, weirdly, you know, even though I didn't take the, didn't, didn't take up like a true podium spot, I, uh, I was happy with my race because it had, I had gotten super sick earlier in the year and came back, but it was because mm-hmm. of the, you know, the ability to kind of go through all that running and all that, just your back. It was such deep mud. It was, it was like steep uphill running with like a 30 pound bike on your back. Oh, yeah. It was a real, real crap fest to say, you know, to keep a PG yeah. 13, uh, it, it was, was a hard, tough. hard, hard day out, but a good, a proper cross. You know what I mean? I mean, you can't take anything away from it. That ended up being a proper cross. Oh, for sure. I have a question kind of really, you know, we're talking a lot about this 2018 nationals courses. Do you guys have, uh, perhaps also a limited to tracks, not necessarily races where you did really well. Cause that's easy. Everybody's got the, you know, they look at their results in their head and they think, Oh, that was a really great course. But do you guys have good tracks that you liked racing regardless of, of results? I loved Deegan. Deegan was like a rad race. Like it's, it's a night race. It's downtown. It's got like everything that a Belgium race requires, like the fans, the pub on the corner. Like, uh, I just have like, it was like a fun it was always just a fun venue fun race the double pit was like bizarre it's usually muddy it just like to me that's like the first race that i think of that was like that's a cool race yeah um in europe i think that the you know cox idol was like kind of the the king kong of of hardest races ever done you know it's like if you hit the section and you ride through cleanly then you don't waste a ton of energy but if you if you falter and you you don't hit it cleanly then you're you're for sure you're for sure running and you're just using so much extra energy so um you know if you can ace this one section and then get back on and then pedal through this without crashing there was just an enormous amount of skill combined with power and agility. And I, I always felt that it was kind of the highest, the hardest and highest level of like what cyclocross really was, especially to the Belgians, like a proper sand cross was super hard. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I always loved the challenge, even though I think my best result there was somewhere around 10th. It wasn't like a, you know, earth shattering but it was to think like oh yeah i was lapped there many many times and to come back to getting to the you know in that like (laughs) looking at the top 10 or somewhere in that vicinity is uh was always a real i felt like a real accomplishment Uh, and and in the u.s there was one year maybe 2012 of gloucester that was quite possibly the best track that we ever had in the u.s it was um, Paul Boudreaux got it to go down onto the beach and there's like these old, um, stone stairs that you would run up from the beach. So you had to dismount in the sand. It was raining and muddy and they had the beer tent and cyclocross was kind of at what I would call it's like peak at that time, you know, that 2012, 13, it was just going <laughs> and, um, there was mud everywhere. There was a very technical track that year, even though it's on the beach and Sandy and it kind of combined like a lot of what American cyclocross had taken from Europe and, um, made its best, uh, effort at trying to really replicate what a proper cyclocross was. So, um, yeah, it was, that was a, that was a great year. And I always loved the, I always loved that, uh, that track, but like you said, for different reasons, not cause I just, not cause I did well there, but because family was out and things like this, but that was a great track. The, the Gloucester track was such a nice event. So yeah, I, I 
I wish I would have been able to uh, have raced that race, but the one I always loved was when Providence was, I can't remember the name Roger of the, Williams. the park, but that was just such a beautiful yeah. setting. Yeah. Roger Williams. Thank you. Yeah. That was a, that was a beautiful setting. Just like a real, a pretty well-balanced I, I, would, track, I was I thinking remember. that too, uh, especially right. those years when it rained there, it was very, very slippery mud. Um, you know, it was cause it was quite nice grass that they had had, but the, but the mud would sit really hot, really on the top and it would just get like a really thin layer of just kind of snot right in the top. And, um, you had to run your tires low. You had to take the, you had to take everything wide. There was an enormous amount of off camber sectors that threw you for a loop. So again, another, another, I was thinking that track too, for, with regards to uh, U.S. courses, that Providence really did hold um, hold some weight in the in the New England cyclocross scene, but I also think it was one of the best. All right, so I've got a little bit of a contentious topic or question here. So there's this stigma in cyclocross that you cannot use any nutrition, any water, anything. You can't have a bottle cage. You know, you don't. You know, you can't run gels in your pockets because you don't got pockets. You got skin suits on. Why, why do you think that's still kind of the prevalent stigma today? And do you think that's going to shift, um, you know, with the evolution of, uh, drink mixes and, and nutrition products, you know, it's only a 60 minute race, but you're racing two days in a row. Um, you know, do do you think there'll ever be a shift where we'll see more nutrition playing a, a bigger role in some of these races, especially at the, you know, the pro elite level where they are racing, you know, 60 plus minutes. I'm planning on racing a bottle at probably every race this year. Scott, really? just with water no, with, or with, with, mix. with mix and, and caffeine. Okay. Um, last year, Scott McGill, who's a, who we should just, we should have had him on. He would have been a good guy to have on. Uh, he said, I'll stop. I'll stop racing. He raced with a bottle all last year. And he was, he was kind of like the new guy, the new kid on the block, but he was like, he made his presence known <laughs> like very, very quickly. Um, it was like at the first race, like everybody's like, who's this Scott guy? He showed up on road pedals, uh, and, and he got like podium first race. I'm like, Oh my gosh, dude, come on. And, (laughs) um, I've been doing this for like 10 years and this kid just shows up and, uh, and, but he raced with a bottle like the whole season. And, and so I was like, when are you going to not race with a bottle? He said, when I, when I don't drink it. And I'm like, fair enough. (laughs) So he definitely influenced me. Um, and I think, I think it's, I think there's a performance benefit there. It's a long race, 60 minutes. Um, and I don't think the weight of it is worth, I, that's in my opinion. I, I don't, I don't know if it's, I don't, I don't know if it's yeah. measurable, but yeah. We don't have to have a full bottle either, right? You can have a half yeah. bottle. I mean, I've done, I feel like I've done that for hot races, but I've always been of the opinion that if you dial in your nutrition, um, you know, ahead of time, then you should be good for, for an hour of, of exercise. Yeah. But, you know, here we have tune, tune arts taking, taking gels mid race. So I don't know, maybe the, the game is changing and I yeah. need to, mm. need to rethink Yeah, I had this. a good race at Roanoke last year and on the second day I got fifth and, uh, I raced with a, a, a big bottle, like a tall bottle insulated with drink mix in it. Uh, and I drank the whole thing and I, and I, and I think I, finished it with like over a lap to go. So like I could have drank more and I think I may have taken a gel in that race too. (laughs) So, um, and I had a good race. So maybe that has some, um, you know, maybe that resonated with me. So that's why I've like flipped, but that definitely like sealed the deal for me. 
Yeah, the tone arts thing was weird, wasn't it? He would be taking gels kind of in the midpoint of the race or just before it to try to eliminate what you could see visually was like kind of a, he he would just, I don't want to say he would bonk because it's not like it wasn't ever that dramatic. It's just the racing would keep going and he couldn't respond to it. So it's like his glycolytic power mm. for some reason was going away, um, you know, at the three quarters of the race point you know, his level is still like, yeah, incredible. So it's not like you can't push 400 Watts, but I mean that glycolytic, that really high end, just that rap, 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 rap. He just couldn't, he couldn't close those down anymore, that high end stuff. And, uh, I remember watching him take those gels cause we commentate a lot of those races and seeing it. And what he was trying to do was kind of offset it by giving the body that fuel, like in the, you know, in, and there's been tons of, tons of studies around even just a mouth rinse with, you know, high, like, like, like with like a high carb drink, you know, will stoke kind of this idea that your body to, to open that up, to be able to use some of that sugar that's kind of hanging out inside. But for some riders, you know, and I hate to say, as you get older, you know, that, that kind of high end stuff does turn down a little bit. And I'm not really sure why his body would do that because I know he does the volume. I know he would be able to carry that amount of sugar. Um, but you have to try things, you know, your body for some reason is just like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. Um, I'm not going to give you that sugar or I'm not going to let you go that hard. I'm protecting something. And, um, the riders, you have to kind of try to try to figure out and tease it out of you. So, um, for me, um, I think cross gut was a real thing that I, that I battled, uh, when I was racing. I think that that's, I would be surprised to see how much, you know, uptake you get from the European riders. That doesn't mean that it's not right or it isn't wrong, uh, right or wrong. It just means that I think you'll be surprised to see that, you know, riders would shift through to like always having a bottle on their bike, for instance. But two things that we can't deny is that one cyclocross racing, especially in the early season, September is hot. You know, it just got, it got super, super hot. And so for that reason, um, you know, there's going to be, there has to be some hydration in there because otherwise you just, you're at a performance, you know, disadvantage if you're not taking some fluids in and replenishing what you're taking out. And then the second thing, so yes, definitely there. And then the second thing is, um, is that cross gut, you know, it's like, it's so bumpy on a cyclocross bike and it's so fast. You don't really experience it in anything else. Mountain bike, you know, you typically are on a full suspension 29er that's chewing up a lot of this, you know, a lot of this vibration and stuff. But in cyclocross, it's these 33 mil tires, um, that are really the only form of suspension that you have. And the tracks are bumpy. B. So you're getting this constant, <laughs> you know, shaking of your, of your stomach and your stomach lining is getting irritated and your body's taking this big jolt. And then you add the heat in there. And I, I was very, very ill with cross gut many times. And actually what I later would find out for myself, I wouldn't say this is true for everyone, but it felt like the shaking and the jiggling of having any food in my stomach, you know, that was undigested was really exacerbated by this this kind of jumbling of my guts. And um, the best way that I could mitigate that would be stop eating, you know, sometime two, two and a half hours before, and then focus on water or something that was really kind of, you know, fructose in the mouth, like really kind of being absorbed high up without getting it kind of down into my stomach. And so that... um, that idea, it's, it's not, it's very N equals one is what I'm trying to say. 
you know, what works for me may not work for Tyler. Uh, what works for me might not work for Drew and vice versa. It's, it's so hard. So, um, I think Adam, that's the answer to the long, the longest answer to that question is like, why don't people use nutrition during it's because it is full gas, like 110% intensity. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people's stomachs can't really digest or take on, you know, those gels at that time. Cause it's just so hard on your gut. But, um, Times are changing and things are getting thinner and better and more digestible, et cetera. So I don't know. Very true. Dude, that's, that's tough. Like I've had races where, you know, maybe it's hot or something like that. I know I've learned about myself that my digestion slows down in the heat or if it feels like it does, I don't have any scientific evidence of that, but just like, you know, two, three laps into a race. And then all of a sudden I just hit a wall, you know, and then comes back after that. But for sure, like you're saying, that crosscut is just it's miserable to deal with during and after the race as well. So I I guess uh yeah, it's something something that people have to experiment with. But I have a perhaps adding on to your question, uh Adam, bottle on the down tube or on the seat tube? Down tube. Down tube. Down tube. Easier access. Uh and you, you can you arrow. can fit your arm, like your elbow through between you know between the bottle cage and the, the C tube a little easier, I think, than trying to fit it up, you know, through the down tube. I'm just gonna do a bladder in my skin suit this year. When that when that like a whole when that mood is just fumbling around all kinda on the top of your butt, you're just like, Oh, here we go, got the bladder down there with yeah. the line the lines kinda all up in your ears and neck. Oh no. Oh no, that'd be terrible. Yeah. Trying to bite his shoulder, trying to find the mouthpiece. Oh gosh. Yeah, I mean, you know, it great. is interesting, you know, like, in there, like you know, in mountain biking around. there's there's a in World Cup mountain biking or any cross country mountain biking, there's there's a tech zone where you can get mechanical assistance or you can get, you know, feeds. Um, and I don't know, it'd be kind of interesting to, to see if that ever gets you, you know, adopted into cyclocross, like, you know, in the pits, if you could have a, you know, kind of a, a feed area, um, then you could eliminate the need for a bottle cage, I guess, and just get a, you know, a quick couple swigs or something. We had that yeah, in a few races did, last yeah. year where we, but I can't remember if it, you had to get a bottle on the bike or I can't remember the specifics of it, you know, where you had to come through the pit and then get a bottle that was on the bike. I think that's kind yeah. of, the, was the regulation, but okay. Yeah, this isn't no need to do it outside of the pit. <laughs> the feeding. This was another thing I noticed at the hot races. Cause we were talking about the heat, um, especially at Roanoke last year. Uh, I saw a lot of people still warming up on a trainer, even though it was a hundred degrees out. And I thought that that was a huge mistake, but I saw really well-known riders doing it. And I'm thinking, don't they know better? But then I started to think like, do they know something that I don't know? And that, and I should be on the trainer. <laughs> Cause I was so convinced that it's way too hot to be on the trainer. And I did my warm up out on the road, uh, cause I wanted the cooling effect of the wind and, and I didn't want to be like just totally overheated on the start line. Is there something there that I'm missing? Like what? N equals yeah. one again, in my opinion, you know, it's just, um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> in the rain and in the cold, it makes ton. It just is a, it's a more con, you know, oh, yeah. it's, it's a much more controlled environment. Sure. And I think that the same is true in the heat is that it's, you know, for, 
for the riders, it's a controlled environment. So it depends on mindset. And, um, you're absolutely right though, that like natural evaporation from sweating and having the wind go through you and being on the road with the fluidness of your Mm -hmm. pedals and doing your efforts or whatever, you know, for the, for me, there was no ever, you know, even in the middle of winter, I, I couldn't stand the trainers, uh, warming up. I just felt like it, I do it. I would do it. I, I would absolutely, ha- you have to do it. Um, and I do like the trainer for things mm-hmm. at home and stuff, but just before the race, I don't know. I just, I liked that time away from the drama of like autographs or pictures or BS that was going on in the pits. So mm-hmm. for me, I always wanted to get out, like get, just get, just put the road wheels on. If that's what we have to do, Hopper, my mechanic was always, you know, didn't want me riding in the tires naturally because they're expensive and they wear down when you ride them on the road. And it's just like, yeah, cool. Give me, just give me the bike with the road wheels. Let me go ride for 30 minutes, warm up, do my stuff. And then I'll come back to the pit and my race bike will be ready to go. I'll take it to the start line 10 minutes before and boom, we're done. That, that is, yeah. that was my way. I, I can't, you can't fault them if they feel like they need the control though of being in the zone with the fan on mm-hmm. and doing their efforts on the trainer. It's just, but it's, they're different, different beasts, you know, like it's, it's tough. Yeah. I don't think they know something you don't know. I think they just know what they know. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a good way. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. I, I think you've noticed that if you, you know, for the domestic world cups and, and racing some of the world cups in, in Europe or the races there, you see that, and I've, I've heard this talking to a couple riders that the Americans, they all warm up way harder than any of the European guys do. And I don't know if that's just, uh, something in the water on that side that they're just ready to go with a few minutes of rolling around. But, uh, I always notice that, you know, the Americans are the ones that are on the trainers and the Euros are the ones just sitting and chilling. And then they, uh, they spin the legs for 10 minutes and then they go to the course and, and throw down. So yeah, like you said, maybe something for everybody's a little bit different got to get prepped in their own ways so but i don't know i'm never having to deal with uh with people coming for my autograph so i I, yeah i never did a lot of hard efforts i I always thought of i always thought of the cross races as like uh as the same way that i would go out and train you know what i mean so 20 to 30 minutes of riding then led to your first you know kind of hard ish effort right so so it's like 20 to 30 minutes of riding for me would been like all right cool now i'm ready for my first five minute interval or my first three minute interval or whatever and yet it wouldn't have been the best interval that i did but it still would have been pretty good so you know when i was thinking about the cross racing it's like all right cool we're gonna warm up for 30 minutes and that will mean that everything you know my muscles are limbered my body is ready to take on this effort and i'm more than ready for high intensity. Um, and I never really thought of it more than that. I never was doing, you know, one minute on one minute off this and that, unless there was a very clear reason for it. Like, okay, you know, this world cup is extremely hard right at the start. And in a way that I, you know, don't want to just be coming off of doing 130, you know, heart rate. If it was like something where there was a really intense climb, then I may add in a couple of, you know, two, three minute style efforts with like a kind of a slow ramp and build up to get my heart rate a little bit higher. But other than, you know, a handful of outlier cases, I never really found myself doing high intensity, serious, uh, stuff before, before the races. Cause I felt like it kind of, I hate to say it shit up the legs. You know what I mean? Just like, yeah, you, 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 if you've already done a couple of hot laps, 
you know, you've warmed up for that. Then you've, you know, done your hot laps then you've cooled down. Then you've had some food and you've kind of made a whole day of it. And now you're warming up again to do more stuff. It's like, you know, over the course of a weekend, you're like, it, it takes it out of you over the course of a season. If you're just constantly doing hard efforts all day and night. Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah. It makes sense. Well, Hey, we got to let, let Jeremy get out of here. He's got another meeting to get to, but Jeremy, this has been awesome. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate you taking some time today. Uh, we'll get this episode out later this week and people get stoked Thanks. for the cross season. Any final like big, you know, world cycle cross changing training advice? Well, uh, like I said, you know, you have to do the things that you're not good at um, constantly. And if you can find sand, I really recommend it. You know, I think it's, it's, I wouldn't say like the fine beach sand, but if you can find sand that holds a little bit of moisture in your area, um, you know, I used to look at Google maps and find the, the big sand pits, especially like if there's a lot of dirt bikers or people in your area, find that. And, um, do those figure eight drills. I did a ton of stuff when I was with GCN around like skills and it's free. You know what I mean? How to pick up the bike, how to put it on your shoulder, how to run with the bike, um, how to be thinking about drills in the sand and this and that. There's a ton of great free information out there. Um, and I would, I would try to focus on that because while it's like, oh man, I need to set up for this turn this way or cyclocross is this. The truth is, is that really it's, you know, practice and it's just constant repetition of doing something over and over again and learning about the tire pressures and really becoming a student of it all is the best way to kind of figure out how uh to to make something go the way that you want it to go it's uh yeah cyclocross is a weird beast because while road racing is just you know it's it's very chess there's a lot of chess that's that happens in road racing at the end of the day it's really is can i put out the a, a power that's of equal at the time that it's asked of me um or can i not and then if you can't then you're dropped and if you can in cyclocross though um preparation really does favor uh, the riders so if they know how to get off their bike and how to run with it and their equipment's in good condition it can make a big difference in the results sheet and that's um that's something that's completely different and unique to cross so yeah those are my parting words yep there you have it listeners if the best of the best are still working <laughs> on their weaknesses then it probably means you should too awesome guys enjoy the rest of your time good luck to everyone racing All cross right. this year and thanks for having me on yeah all right thanks, Jeremy. Drew, do you have any world-changing, cyclocross, mind-blowing tips Whoa. and tricks? We're two weeks away from go-cross. There's got to be something that's on your mind. Yeah, right my now. bike isn't built. <laughs> I don't have that's a seat post for it, but that's not really... It, it, honestly, it's still not even built. It's just a frame in my basement. So I can't blame it on the seat post. <laughs> um, I just finished crit season. So now I'm a hundred percent on, on cross. So I need to get that built up. I built Hannah's bike last week. So hers was higher priority than mine. I have a Crockett from last year that I've been riding. So I need to, I need to get out on it. I've honestly not done any, I haven't been on a, I haven't been on a cross bike on a cross course since like last year. I haven't done any remounts, dismounts. I helped out with like a cycle cross clinic three weeks ago, but that consisted of like two warm-up laps with a bunch of 10-year-olds. So <laughs> Steer clear of you then. Yeah. <laughs> I know that my biggest weakness in years past has been my first lap, um, just my first lap positioning. Uh, I start on the front row at a lot of these races and somehow end up not staying there um, pretty consistently. So <clears throat> I think I, that's something that I, I'm hoping that the crit racing this summer has helped with. 
that, that assertiveness to put myself at the front of a race. Cause I don't think it's for a lack of power. I think honestly it was for a lack of not thinking I belonged in the front group. And I think that because of how good my road season's gone, I think that that has gone away a little bit, you know, like it, hopefully this doesn't sound bad, but I'm going into this cross season. I think more confident in my abilities than years past. So I'm hoping that that translates to just more confidence, more assertiveness, more sense of belonging at the front, which means I won't be so, so friendly to letting people pass me on the first lap. I hope that's what happens. If it comes out that I just need to get better at, at actually riding the first lap, then I'm in big trouble. <laughs> Mindset's a powerful thing. Got to act like yeah, you've been there for but sure. I'm still not giving you a wheel, even if you even though you're the boss. Not, man. A, not at all. Yeah, <laughs> you shouldn't, you should, you should just crash me. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to crash you, but, uh, just not yeah. letting you in. <laughs> um, is it is it real that you can't race with a camera on your bike? You guys heard that? I have seen a UCI commissaire take a camera off of Carrie's really? bike, yeah. but that was at a European okay. race. But then I've also seen folks with footage from a European race. So I just don't know if it was because we were on the first couple of did rows he on that they did that or on his or bike. What? No, it was a bar mount underneath his uh, underneath his yeah, that, computer. That's what I was gonna. That's what I was gonna try to run. I was gonna try to mount a GoPro under my Garmin. Yeah, you could probably get Even away on with the it. Front row. And the and are you on the front row? I'm pretty sure I am. Ooh, well, <laughs> Ga- there. Gage Gage, who's ahead of me in points, isn't racing cross. Stephen Hyde, who's ahead of me in parts, isn't racing cross. And so I think I'm on the front row. I think that yeah, basically not because of anything I've done, but because of other people quitting, <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> um, so I was going to try, I was going to try to race with it. I have it. Like, it's not just like screwed on there. I have like a, it's like full on Allen wrenched in there. So it's on there. It's, it's more mounted to my bike than my computer is mounted to my bike. My, my computer is just twisted in my the little camera is like actually bolted in. So if it's a safety thing, that's fooey. And, and why, I don't know why, just don't tell know why him, else. Just tell him Bill gave it to you. See, I was, be our fine I was legit right. thinking that exact same. Cause there was, I remember very specifically Logan Owen showing up to the Fayetteville UCI cross race with a camera on the front and back of his bike. And it was Bill's cameras because Bill used the footage for some stuff the week after. And I was like, I just need to like get one of those neon vests that say us UCI photo. And then that <laughs> lets me race with a go wear it. Yeah. That with your bladder and your bottle cage on there. Yeah. That'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to try it. Um, I guess, I, you know, I guess I should probably have like the little Allen key that takes off the camera in case they make me take it off on the star line. I'll just, but I'm just going to play yeah, dumb. I'm assuming that no UCI officials is going to listen to this podcast because then they'll know that I'm not actually playing dumb and that I knew that it was, yeah. Right. <laughs> Adam, what do we got to do to get you out to some cross racing this year? Um, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to race cross this year. Um, it's just the, the logistics of it. So just to get there, 
you know, to travel for cross from where I live is just challenging. The, the drives are real far. Um, Trek in, in Iowa are like the only two, you know, or Jingle um, are like the only two that are really driving distance on, but Jingle's not even on the UCI calendar anymore. So it's really just Trek is the only one that's like actually driving distance. Um, Fayetteville's not too far, you know, but that's just a one day or. No, it's um, two days. I looked it. I looked three, it up last oh, it's week. Three days now. Dude, it's a C one. It's a C one. Uh, it's the same schedule Friday, as track. C one. So Saturday, yeah. USAC. Saturday, USAC. Oh, okay. Sunday yeah. World. Okay, well, that's new to me. I didn't realize. Yeah, I that. know. I didn't. I didn't know um, until last week. And I, when I saw that, I was like, yes, because I didn't want to drive. Okay. We were already planning to go, so I'd much rather race twice. Yeah, if I'm going to drive, been I've been, I've been looking for hours. a mid October race to go to. So. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll think about that one. I've already got my UCI yeah, license, so you know. You could have a play. You might be able to crash with with the, with us. I think we have a house. So okay. you, there, I'll let you know. Might, yeah, there might be, be there might be room for you. Yeah, I mean, I love that the dude that doesn't have a bike built up already has his you know, <laughs> spot plan for a month and a half away. Well, I'm like the I'm like really <laughs> accepting the role of team manager, and so I'm like. Making sure that all the ducks in the row are are like Drew. What size is your is your Crockett? Fifty four. Could I race on that? Um, it won't have any parts on it by that point. Oh, you're stripping the parts off. Okay, I've only got a single speed. I have to take the. That's fine. Those are the only parts I have, so I have to put them on my boon. I only have one Mm -hmm. boon right now, so I'm waiting for the other ones to show up. You got to get it together. That's not my fault. That's Trek's fault. (laughs) <laughs> back order a buddy of mine got his he had his boon delivered yesterday uh or the day before that and it uh he ordered it in april yep. so i don't we think you're the only one too i'm pretty sure so um i don't really care for me i am kind of bummed because i had told hannah that she'd get two boons and right now she has one crockett so uh oh. i have a second crockett for her but i'm hoping not to build it up i'm hoping that her boons show up before roanoke and i can give her her boons at Roanoke built up. So yeah, this is like, this is, these are the, these are the stresses of a team manager now. Yeah. I can show up with crappy equipment, but now I feel very responsible if my teammates show up with crappy equipment. Manager, player, yeah. coach. All, I know dude, all, all the hats, but this yeah. is the best looking one right here. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sweet. So, yeah, yeah we'll see. Maybe, yeah, maybe I'll come down to Fayetteville. That could be fun. Yeah. What about you? What are your big goals this year, Tyler? Uh, I've, I've got the the same goals as always. It'd be, I mean, results-wise, I'd love to love to be in that top 15, maybe even 10 of like a, a C1 race. Um, I'd love to get a top, top 10 mm-hmm. at Nationals, but I think some things have to come together for that to happen. I mean, I was close at, at the Louisville Nationals that we talked about. Um, mostly because I think when it's muddy like that and it favors a lot of running or getting on and off the bike, that's kind of where something that I'm just naturally, I think good at. Um, but it also slows the race down a lot. So being able, being that everybody's kind of got a speed limit and that helps me kind of catch up. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Love to just have some, have some good results. I feel like the last, last season wasn't great. I definitely didn't, um, execute at my, potential. So I think this year, you know, for me in these last couple of weeks, just trying to make sure that I make time at the end of a ride or 
on easy days, like a, you know, recovery days, just go down to the park across the street and set up some barriers and work on my work on my hopping work on my turning and just make sure that I've got that dialed. Cause you know, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a Watts problem for me ever. It's just, you know, making sure that I can, can hang and yeah, try to, try to hop to state. Yeah. Your bunny so. hopping's but looking better. I saw some videos you posted on Instagram like last week or something like that. And yeah. Yeah. It looks pretty solid. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I've been trying to, trying to work on it. I, last year it was kind of a big, a big goal of mine to hop the barriers in at least one race. And, um, you know, I was able to do that a couple races as long as they're not the full mm-hmm. height. It's, it's usually good, but you know, full height for me being a shorter guy is like knee height. So yeah. I don't have that. I don't have those kind <laughs> they're of, hard, they're hard to hop but, even uh, when you're off your bike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got a plant on those things. Um, which like remind, like, uh, like I did that Tabor race mm. one year and those barriers are full height and they're also have like a steep punch, like you're riding uphill into them. So the fact that like a guy like Ellie or like Lars can hop them is ridiculous and, and the, to me. And the like chick, not, that's how she, she almost won. Um, puck. Yeah. Oh, that puck, was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Oh my that? gosh. She was the only one hopping him and she gapped him every lap. Oh, that was so cool. And it's not set at like the lip of the, at the lip of the mm-hmm. hill, it's like a foot back from mm. So you have to like go super hard and like launch, but then you have like no speed and <laughs> the then you got to hop the next one. So those guys are like super yeah. sloppy, but I mean, I, I, yeah, I rode up to those and I was like, I don't, I couldn't believe it that people could physically hop. Yeah. Those. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. I've, um, yet to do that. Yeah yet to do any barrier hopping yeah well i'll just make sure that at least on on day one of roanoke that i get in front of you on the first lap (laughs) just make sure yeah those barriers aren't too bad um uh, vandenham is the guy you don't want to be behind i got a pretty good video of him just botching the barriers last year are we cutting this part or are we, I know we're still recording. <laughs> he doesn't listen to our <laughs> podcast. And if he does Got his own come after me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to watch out for it. If we're throwing shade, I mean, you know, he busted a chain on day one of charm city. So he did. Yeah. He did. Hopefully come by me. I'm not going to buy me. So did Curtis. Didn't Curtis man. Curtis did the same yeah. Last year. And then, yeah. 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 Came by like a, like a freight train and asking, you know, I mean, he was like, all right, guys, let's work together. And I was like, dude, there's no way we're working together. <laughs> yeah. Like you're my ticket to the, yeah. I'm sitting in, <laughs> I think at Rochester, something happened to him it. and he came by me and I stayed with him for, for, for a whole lap. And, uh, I was on mm-hmm. the rivet at the end of that rap. I was like, dang, I, I was like, man, I couldn't even hold his wheel, you know, without the traffic. Like all I had to do was stick his wheel. And I, and I could only do that yeah. for a lap. Yeah. It's, uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, it's always, uh, like the first race is always a, a toss up, right. To see like who's done their homework, who, cause there's a lot of guys last year and even this year now that are coming off of road mm-hmm. seasons, you know, you like good or you think you're just doing it. I don't know. I mean, I, I like, I've kind of always had the traditional, like what Jeremy was talking about where like Tulsa tough is generally my last like race of the year. So I'll do those crits and then take a mid season break. And then everything's kind of going into getting prepped for cross. 
And usually there's at least one cross race that I can get to before, you know, before going to the UCI race, but I don't, I kind of looked in the area and there's nothing like there's no cross practices. There's like, I can't even drive to like Kansas city or come up to Sioux Falls. We got a cross race this weekend. (laughs) <laughs> man i might look how far <laughs> eight, eight hours it might be it might be a stretch for a for a, a local, local. Race. <laughs> you get some if you win you get a, a i wasn't four, even gonna do it but if you come up i'll do it <laughs> you get a four pack of sioux falls craft beer if you win worth it we, we can make it a six pack yeah but yeah it's like it's uh i think it's i think it's good because you come off of like Drew, what you're talking about, if you're comfortable moving around in a pack like that and <clears throat> and taking corners at, at 30 miles an hour, then taking them at 15 to 20 in a cross race is, is nothing. Um, so I think, I think there's pros and cons. I think the only thing is like, how are people's handling skills? Um, cause I mean, this, at gateway cup, like aside from, aside from Monday's course, which is, like 16 turns or something. That course yesterday was money, dude. Such a good course. I loved that (laughs) course. I don't think I left the top 10. I think I was in the top 10 for like seriously 90% of the race. Like it was so good. Like I felt good. All the turns were like spot on. I was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's good good for that. And I think Tyler too, like, like a, an interesting wrench that's getting thrown in there right now is, um, like the supply chain issue, like a lot of the guys who are coming, like if they're running their own programs this year and they're coming off of the road, like it's not like the old days where you could just like order your bikes three weeks before and they'd show up and you'd be ready to go. Like you've got to have that stuff planned out mm-hmm. months ago. And I'd be curious to see like how many guys are having to run like, you know, tubeless tires this year and like, you know, old drive trains and aluminum bikes or something just because they can't, you can't get the stuff last minute anymore like you used to. Um, so that can wow, be a challenge every, too for some literally people. everything you just said was me last year. I had an aluminum bike with like takeoff parts. Um, and, and like half my wheels were tubeless. <laughs> yeah. That's like, so- <laughs> I'm going to try the tubeless yeah. thing for at least the first couple of I races. think it's good for dry races. Um, I've got, I've got three sets already yeah. or three or four sets for the team to use. They're just more versatile. So if you, if you do want to switch tires, it's not a pain. They're easier to repair. Yeah. Uh, and you're going to, if you're going to run them at a higher pressure for the fast courses, then you don't have to worry about burping or pinching. And, but I still have tubulars for yeah. those muddy days that are going to be there as well. So, yeah, that's my, that's my process as well is just making sure that I have those tubulars glued up with, mm-hmm. with mud tubulars. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, cause when it's like, and I, like, I, I probably will just bring, cause I'm flying out this year to the East coast. So like, bringing five wheel mm-hmm. sets is tough. Um, but if I can bring two, maybe three wheel sets yeah. and then, you know, just run tubeless with some inserts, then Ooh, I think it'll be the enough. And then, we actually had a listener question <laughs> yeah. uh, about running tubeless or tubeless tires with inserts or without inserts for cross. Mm-hmm. Or I've just in general used inserts. No, for so. cyclocross specific. I, I'm always like, I need to, this is something I need to probably go do this afternoon is just kind of take the tire pressure down with the inserts because, uh, I had them in a set of wheels last year, but I didn't really race them too much. Um, but I've been running them for gravel and like 
it's great. Just having, having those inserts is, is nice just to be able to like, um, I don't know, have the confidence that you're not going to buff the rim, uh, when you smack something, like you said, like we were talking about earlier, like, you know, you're super dialed in your pre and your pre warm up laps, but then, you know, it's 50 minutes, 45 minutes into a 60 minute race. And like those telephone poles that go cross that you kind of ride up and it's really easy to just to like yep. <laughs> not have enough speed and smack mm-hmm. a rear wheel on, mm-hmm. on one of those. Yep. So that's, that's where I think it's, it's helpful and comes in handy. But, you me yeah, I mean, and, and we all know like w- one psi makes a difference so like you know even, even if it's just that if you can run one or two psi lower you know that that could be a difference between you know railing that corner and sliding out yeah for sure yeah i mean I, I i don't know i haven't spent enough time on the tubeless tire to know how the wheel like reacts right like with a tubular you like you're always just kind of riding on that tread and like the wheel itself is moving like over top of it. But I don't know if it's this difference with a tubeless tire where it behaves more like a mountain bike where you're like kind of, you have like three sections, you have the center tread and then the two like knobs on the side. Yeah. That's, so, that's what, yeah. So I've run tubeless and cyclocross now for like four seasons. And that's what I like different about it is I feel mm-hmm. like I can handle my cross bike more like a mountain bike. Um, you know, like I, yeah. I can like really engage the side knobs pretty well. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, Drew, yeah. if you've kind of noticed that, but, um, you guys are over my head now. I don't notice those subtle differences. You, you, you I mean, you would, no, you would, you yeah. would notice it if we, you know, if you wrote them back to back, you could, you could definitely notice a difference. Probably uh, the tires like a little bit, even, even like I've got like a set of like the Donnelly world cup that are supposed to be 240 TPI. I mean, I don't know where they count their TPIs at, but they're definitely still much stiffer than like a, uh, a you know soft tubular so like the suppleness of the tire kind of makes the tire sit more flat on the ground yeah. versus like with the tubeless tire you've got a much more supportive sidewall so you actually can turn the you know you can turn the bike you know lean the bike over and the tire doesn't just roll underneath you it just kind of like mm. you know, forms with the bike or you know turns with the bike yeah yeah we've got the challenge is that the challenge just-, just came i came out with a tubeless setup and so we're going to be running those this year. They hooked us up. Does that affect how you, like, Adam, I'm assuming that you've ridden on some tubulars before. Like, does that affect how you corner the bike as well? I would say, yeah, for sure. Like your tech, your technique? Yeah. Um, I, I would say it does. So, you know, less, less leaning of the body, you know, where you're kind of like leaning your body mm-hmm. into the corner and more so yep. leaning the bike over a bit more. Um, and that's where it really feels like it's, you know, like you, you kind of get that counter steering effect going on, like you do with the mountain bike. Um, and I don't know, I personally like that a little bit more than, than kind of just leaning your body, like, you know, traditionally. Yeah. Um, I just, I also don't like after running the tubeless, like going back, like I've ridden some tubulars here and there in the last couple of years and it just always feels like the tires just squirmy. Like it just always feels like it's ready to just fold underneath you and, and I don't know, but it's, it's also way different in conditions. Like I'm talking dry conditions. Once you get into soft conditions or, mm-hmm. you know, wet conditions, then, uh, you know, I'd still say the tubular is probably superior, but if you're on fast, dry conditions, I think you can, uh, you could argue maybe that the tubeless might even be a little bit more efficient. Yeah. That's what I'm yeah. thinking. Yeah. One thing that I've kind of gotten into doing, like, especially as I've been trying to improve my 
handling and my cornering specifically is watching a lot of like world cup downhills Mm. and seeing how those guys, like if you watch, if you watch how they do like turns, their body position is, is a lot different. And they, I think that's kind of been a, an eye opening thing for me of like, you, you have different body positions for different types of, or different techniques for different types of turns, right. Versus like a berm turn versus a flat turn versus like, you know, whatever. So that's been really interesting to, to bring in. So I guess I'll have to, maybe I'll go down and play kind of side by side with some, some tubulars and then put on the tubeless wheels and just kind of see, like you said, that, uh, how I need to adjust my, my technique. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the thing that I like about tubeless and, you know, kind of drew, like you touched on this, like the maintenance of them is, is so much easier than tubulars. Like, you know, most people, like if they run tubulars, they're probably not practicing all that often on their tubulars because they're afraid of pinch flatting them and having to regroup up tubulars. And that's like the worst thing you can do is like go into a race unfamiliar with the equipment that you're going to use. Like if that equipment's better, but you're not used to it, then it's probably not better for you. So like if you're going to run tubulars, you've got to be willing to sacrifice some tubulars and practice or else, you know, it's just, it's just not better. Gonna work out. It's better for your tubulars to fail in practice than in, than in a, a yeah, race. Drew knows. Yeah, I know. Didn't you roll I mean, some tubies last year? <laughs> at Fayetteville last year, I glued my own <laughs> yep. wheels and, uh, and in the warm up in the pre-ride, I went for, to go do a hot lap and, and around like one of the first turns I double rolled both my tubulars and I thought <laughs> I'm such an idiot. Why do I, Oh my gosh. And I'm like, who glued these wheels up? And so I'm like kicking myself in the head cause I glued the wheels and didn't use enough glue. And I had to, but last um, year there was an issue with the glue too. Yeah. Right. Like so everybody many, was having yeah. math. Really? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it yeah, wasn't a ton fault. of tubulars Good. rolled and a ton of chains broken. Like I don't know what was going on, but yeah, yeah, yeah. that's weird. And now you can't. And now I like I have one set of tubulars to glue up, and thankfully, again, like I have some tubeless wheels that I can run. But I can't find glue anywhere. Like, don't know where to get it. So, Dang. Elmer's man. That's what I. That's what I thought. I was thinking maybe <laughs> I'll just make my own tubular glue because you know. It doesn't even have to Dude, work. I'm sure you could go yeah. to Home Depot and find some stuff that'll never let that tire fall off. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, do I? Can I switch tires on these? No, they're permanently <laughs> on these wheels. Yeah. 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 There's some toxic chemicals we can put on there for sure. Nice. But sweet. Well, well let's uh, uh, let's yeah. let's wrap this thing up. I, I actually do have oh, another yeah. meeting to to hop over to at nine thirty or ten thirty your time. You, you could but, probably uh, just edit this into two episodes. The J-Pal I'm going to put this at the end. This will be a little, little, this will be a bonus clip at the end. The bonus tech talk. Patreon only. Yep. Yeah. Patreon (laughs) only. Um, Sweet. Sweet. Well, Tyler, if you do want some local racing, hit me up if you want to come up this way. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to see. uh, No guarantee there'll be stout competition, but um, I'll, uh, I'll at least come up. Anything, anything to, yeah, that's, that's, I, I would have to ask you to not come. Up. That's <laughs> kind of where I just I need that easy win, man. <laughs> All, All right, right, thanks for having me on, later, boys. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email titled the Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training related discussion and learn about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. 
Catch y'all soon. Let's go.